Mark chapter 4, verse number 30 tonight. Uh, in the idea of asking this question, what would Jesus do in our life? Uh, our step for this uh, year, or, or our, our theme for this year, is in his steps. And we challenged our church family to read the Christian classic uh, book uh, called In His Steps. Or, uh, uh, yeah, that's right, yeah, In His Steps. Now, I didn't read it, I just challenged y'all to do it. Uh, no, uh, we, we read that book, and in the book, we've mentioned this several times, there was a question posed to a congregation of believers... And the question was simply, before you do anything in your life on a daily basis, ask the question, what would Jesus do? And it radically impacted a lot of people's lives as they made these decisions, and many decisions were difficult. Well, I've tried putting myself to the very same challenge, and in many areas of my life, I've tried to focus in and find God's will and what Jesus would do in my particular uh, situation. Now, I will emphasize to you this, in the book and in real life, we ought not pose the question for anybody else but ourselves. And we ought not put upon others the burden of what we think Jesus would do in their steps, because the truth is you simply don't know what Jesus would do in their steps. But I've asked myself this question as one of the pastors of this church. I've challenged myself with this question. If Jesus were to move into town, if he were to move into Burleson, and there are many good churches in our area, by the way. We have several good churches that are like us. There's also good churches that aren't necessarily like us. But if Jesus were to move into our town, it would be almost insulting to me if he did not choose our church to join. Because I want our church to be so close to the heart of Christ that this would be the one he would choose. That maybe the other ones were good ones, but compared to what he desired to have in his church, we would be the only one that fit it perfectly. So I want to talk to you tonight on how we can have the type of church that Jesus Christ himself would join. I want to speak to you verse number 30, Mark chapter 4. Jesus is teaching his disciples in a parable. And this chapter contains many parables, and this is just one. But the Bible says, and he said... Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up, and becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Now, tonight, I want to challenge ourselves to make sure that we are exactly as a church what Jesus Christ would want. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you bless now. Help me. Lord, I pray that there will be nothing hindering you from using me or speaking through me. Lord, I pray that I'd be wholly submitted to your hand. And Father, I pray that you would do a great work in our presence tonight. I pray this in your wonderful Son's name. Amen. Now, many times we get people that come to our church for the very first time as just people who have moved into our community and are looking for a church like ours. And occasionally we get some people that come to our church and they're not necessarily looking for a church like ours. Uh, there are so many choices, especially in our area, south of Fort Worth. If you want a specific church to do what you want them to do, you can find one that will do what you want them to do. There are uh, what we call traditional churches. There are what we call contemporary churches. 
There are churches that have uh, different denominational affiliations. There are Methodist churches and Church of Christ churches. And there are Baptist churches. And there are churches that nobody can figure out what they are. And they don't even label themselves. So they just say, well, we're non-denominationals because we just want you to be whatever you want to be. And so we have those. So if there are this huge number of choices that you can have when it comes to choosing the church for you and your family, I want to make sure that we don't draw our uh, uh, philosophy and our practices at our church just from what we're comfortable with. I was reading some quotes today from a man, uh, a pastor who I really used to respect, a a lot actually. And uh, this man actually preached at our youth camp. This man was one of the best preachers I've ever heard He's, he still really is. He's, uh, he's suave. He's polished. He's one of those guys that's funny. But, man, he can get to a sermon and really convict you. And, and uh, uh, he, he was uh, saying some things. And one of the things that he said was traditionalism is just something that people behind, hide behind uh, so that they don't have to progress. And I want to be very clear to you. I am not against progress at all. In fact, I like new vehicles. I like new clothes. I like new shoes. I like new uh, television programs. Me and my wife are always trying to find something clean enough for her, me and her to watch together. So when something finally comes out, we, just, we basically go celebrate at a fancy restaurant that something finally got released that we can watch together. And uh, it's not called Fixer Upper, amen? And so, uh, <laughs> and so uh, you know, we, we, I, we get excited about new things. And I am all for new things. But I want to make sure that we are not just doing new because it's revolutionary, but truly because it's something that Christ would want us to do. And I'll be very honest with you. If there is something new in this world that we should be doing as a church, I am very open to it as long as Jesus himself would be open to it. So that's the vein of thinking that I preach this sermon to you tonight. And I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God and how it's going to, uh, how Jesus speaks of it here in our passage. First of all, I want to share with you one truth about a, G- a church that Jesus would join. It has a modest beginning. Verse number 31, uh, this is the parable of the uh, uh, grain of mustard seed. It's a parable of the kingdom of God. And, and, and anybody that knows anything about the Bible understands that the kingdom of God in the New Testament is advanced through the local New Testament church. Very few would argue that, in fact. But the local New Testament church is the, the uh, 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 heartbeat and it is the foundational setup by which God will evangelize this world, by which God will reach the lost and dying. It is God's plan for His uh, church to be the thing that His hand reaches through. And so, with that in mind, we read verse number 31. The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. Now, I find verse number 30 very interesting. And if you you can imagine the setup that's going on, but he has all his disciples around, and they're all Jewish. And they're all sitting at the feet of Jesus. And and Jesus says, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? And it's almost as if he is asking himself, How can I 
put this in simple enough terms and yet expound enough upon the kingdom of God that these men might be able to understand. And so he says, what can I liken the kingdom of God to? And then he goes on to say, or with what comparison shall we compare it? And Jesus comes up with a grain of mustard seed. And I, could you imagine Jesus talking to his disciples and he says, I want to teach you guys about the kingdom of God, but I, I just, I need to figure out the best way to do it. And can you imagine how on the edge of their seats these men must have been? You see, the Jews had been looking for the kingdom of God to come for quite a long time. I would even suggest to you all the way back in Egypt when they were in bondage and and Moses was coming to deliver them. They were waiting for the kingdom of God to be set up and established and and the Abrahamic, uh, Abrahamic covenant be fulfilled. And then David stepped on the throne and everybody thought the kingdom of God was coming. And and then uh, throughout the Jewish history, they were always looking for the kingdom of God. So when Jesus began to teach and he says, what can I liken the kingdom of God to? These men must have been glued to Jesus and say, man, I want to know, what is it like? What will it look like when it arrives? I mean, is it going to be marvelous? Jesus, is it going to be like the temple where, where the, the, just the wall and the embankment is over eight stories high? Jesus, is it going to be like the temple overlaid with gold? And Jesus, is there going to be beautiful curtains and there's going to be a holy of oldest? Jesus, is it magnificent like Solomon's temple? The kingdom of God is like Jesus. Tell us. Jesus, we're ready. Is it marvelous? Is it like Noah's ark and that you helped Noah and you gathered all the supplies for Noah and it was such a huge, magnificent thing and, and you did a great victory through uh, Noah there? Was it, was it amazing like that? The kingdom of God is like, was it like the Red Sea crossing when God caused an east wind to just part the waters and everybody walked across on dry land? Was it, was it, is it going to be a miracle? Jesus, is it going to be great? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Oh, that was a little anticlimactic. Jesus, I'd be very honest with you. I mean, with all the tremendous miracles and Jesus, with all the power that you have, I mean, you're the one that steps out on the bow of a ship and just says, peace be still, and waves that we were scared to death of as professional seamen and fishermen. We were scared, and you just said, stop, and they stopped. And now you tell me the thing that we've been waiting on for many, many years and our fathers desired and waited for. You're telling me that the best you can come up with is it's like a mustard seed. It's exactly what he was telling them. And he was exactly right. The church did not start as this triumphant, glorious thing. In fact, it actually modeled Jesus' own life, if you will. Oh, just a... Over in Bethlehem, the least of all the cities in that time. Not only was he born in just like the smallest of the cities, he was born in a lowly stable in a manger. Oh, surely the king of kings would have some type of nice attire to wear when he comes to this earth. He'd be clothed in fine linens and and in a purple robe and garment, and surely there would be a crown at the side of his manger. Oh, no. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes, just the roughest and the raggedest clothing they could find. And the church started very similarly. In fact, Jesus Christ was the pastor of the very first church. Jesus said that he would build his church. And I just think that Jesus keeps his word. So why would he come to this earth and build the church and then leave it unbuilt? 
So Jesus walked this earth and he established himself a congregation of about 12 men. Of those 12 men, there were four fishermen. And I think we've probably got a few fishermen in here. So we're following a biblical pattern of church planting. Amen. Brother Flood, I need to talk to you after church. You've been catching them good down there. So we need to get together. Amen. Brother, Brother Flood's a fisherman. We've got fishermen all over this place. So we're following a biblical pattern. There was one tax collector, if you will. Oh, boy, he was a crooked fellow before he met Jesus. And then he just straightened his walk. And, man, he followed Jesus with his whole heart and a whole life. And, uh, and, and uh, uh, beyond that, the rest of the men there, I don't even know if they were employed. The Bible never tells us what they were doing. And I think we could probably all agree we've got some people unemployed in our church. And we're praying for you men some work. We're praying for you guys to uh, have faith to get through. But I'm praying that the Lord will uh, answer that faith very soon as he already has done for one man this week. You see, there were men that were not the most highly uh, educated, were not the most qualified. In fact, Jesus brought guys on board like Peter. You know, a guy that probably slipped a curse word every now and again. One of them guys that was probably knocking on a door and uh, said, Do you know if you, uh, you died right now, you'd go to heaven with Jesus? And uh, they slammed the door in his face and Peter had to be censored right after that. That was the type of guys that Jesus brought on. No, these guys weren't perfect. In fact, one of them was crooked. One of them would eventually betray the Lord Jesus. And in fact, he was the one that was handling the money. Oh, this first church wasn't perfect, and it was rather small. But it was like a mustard seed. And when it was planted, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1 that it began with just about 120. They're meeting together after their Lord and Savior has died on the cross and And now he's been resurrected and he's ascended up into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, they're all meeting, they're all praying, looking for direction. They're probably preaching, they're singing, they're just looking for an answer, uh, trying to figure out how to to go about things. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible tells us 120. And then in Acts chapter 2, you want to know what happens? Boy, that same group of folks hits the floor. Uh, They hit the ground running. They start preaching about Jesus. They start telling people about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit of God shows up. And they just go on and have not even a revival service. It's more like a Bible service because they've never been revived. And 3,000 people got saved that day. And that one little mustard seed started way back in Bethlehem in a manger. But when it was planted, God began to do something great. The church of Jesus Christ that he would join would probably have some humble beginnings. It was not long ago, about, I would say, seven years ago now, uh, uh, we were on our way to the airport, DFW, and we were going over 360 there, and we saw this uh, uh, new sign being put up where the Johnson & Johnson factory had been. And uh, they were planting a church there. And and my dad began to inform me that that man had been given a huge, substantial amount of money to start this church. And so before he ever had a member, he went and bought the Johnson & Johnson factory. And he began to preach. And unfortunately, the church uh, had to close down. I think the bank foreclosed on the property. And it's just amazing to me how people can set out with the the grandest uh, uh, backers, They can have all the money in the world, but if Jesus isn't supporting the church, it'll never last. 
and a church that was started in the front yard of a redneck. I would have loved to have been at that first service. Amen. Everybody take your Bibles to the book of John, chapter number one. I'm going to preach to you today on the, the Word of God, Jesus Christ. Shut up, Hammer. I would have loved to have been at that first service. Amen. Oh, just a handful of folks. Oh, we're going to pass the offering plate. That, that wasn't a dog. That was one of the people out there in the congregation barking this time. I would have loved to have been there. Uh, but you understand, we weren't glitz and glamour then. We aren't glitz and glamour now. I still use the word ain't when I preach. I don't use very good English when I preach. And sometimes Miss Mary laughs at me because I say dumb things while I'm preaching. But amen to the glory of God. God can take things that started from humble beginnings and make them something great. And that's what he does with his church. And I believe that Jesus would join a church, no matter how big it is, with humble beginnings, just a a man opening up a Bible and beginning to preach the Word of God and pray for people as they filter into his building. And and he's praying for a piano player because the only piano player he's got knows one song and they're getting tired of the one. Two songs, amen. Two songs, amen. And he's just sitting there praying, and he's just sitting there working, and he realizes that the budget gets a little tight, so you know what he does? Oh, he doesn't pray for money. He goes out and buys a blue trailer, and he goes down the road a ways, and he starts stacking up cords of wood, and he brings them back to town and sells them. And he just gets enough money to get us through the next week and the next week, and then they they move into a, a, a storefront building, and boy, great miracle that God has performed, and they were nervous about paying that first building payment, and they never knew how they were going to do it. I think they had to pay for for three months up front, and they just they just said, no, there's no way we can do this. But it was a big leap of faith, and they just stepped out, trusted God. And my, my soul, God brought people. He kept preaching. He kept praying. They kept singing. God finally brought a piano player along, and Mom said, thank the Lord, my fingers are tired of that song. And sure enough, before you know it, they're having to buy more and more and more chairs. Soon enough, the property behind the storefront where they were at opens up and it's for sale. And they step out in faith and they purchase that portion of land there. And and there's some men in the church, some guys with some building experience. They began to pray about building a building there. And they they post a sign there, future home of the Joshua Baptist Church. And boy, people start to pray and people start to give and people start to work. And it just so happens that just a few years down the road, they're going to look at a wonderful building with a huge tall steeple. And anybody driving by will see that a church is there, not a recreation center. Boy, they they serve God there. They love God. Hundreds of people are baptized. Thousands of people are saved. People are uh, learning to love the Lord Jesus Christ, and the community is being changed slowly but surely. Oh, and I'm here for this one. We begin to pray about moving because the building's gotten too full. We begin to pray about... Maybe the Lord doing something and we bought two acres, but the building that we need to build is too big for the two acres of land. And we don't know what we're going to do, and it just so happens that one of our church members gets in trouble, and he needs somebody to buy the land so he can pay the taxes on the rest of the land he owns. And preacher steps out in faith, and he purchases this portion of ground you're sitting on tonight. Uh, A lot of people doubted preacher on that. 
A lot of people said, wow, would we ever need that? And it just so happens God continues to bring people. We finally get too big for our, our little old building we work so hard to build, and it just so happens that we, uh, we have to start building up here, and we, we go the same route. Man, there's some men in the church that with some building experience, and we, we just step out in faith, and Brother Pickett's never managed a building project in his entire life, and now we just bring a whole bunch of cardboard boxes and vanilla envelopes to him and say, Brother Pickett, you're in charge! And Brother Pickett says, oh me. Throughout that building project, there were errors, there were mistakes, but I remember just about every week, every Saturday, a group of people would come up here and just sweep up nails and sweep up sawdust and and just clean the property. We had lifts everywhere, and we were looking at Brother Billy all the way up there on the roof, spraying that stuff, and we were just kids playing in the snow, amen? Soon enough, it just so wonderful what God did. He opened this church up. We walked up with a torch. And we all in the single file line on the edge of 174 made the 0.6 mile journey up here to the church. And we we stood up here with a torch. I'm pretty sure we were burning mosquito oil, but that's all right. Just rednecks, just mustard seeds. We stand out there in front and we dedicate this building. We pray that God would use this building to do something great in our community. And the very first Sunday we open up the building, every seat in the house is full, over 850 people here on one Sunday. Boy, there were people everywhere. Our bus route was was ginormous. We had over 120 in the youth department. We had over 300 on buses. Every seat in the house was full, and God just answered prayer. And a man began to preach, and a man began to pray, and we just, we just kept loving the Lord. We just kept serving the Lord. We just kept working and saying, Jesus, if you'll keep using us, Jesus, if you'll keep allowing us to be used of you, Jesus, just please use us in some way. We're not the most talented. We're not the greatest. Every once in a while, a preacher stands up and makes somebody mad from the pulpit. Every once in a while, we do stuff that probably wouldn't glorify you, but Jesus, we're just men trying to serve you. And, and now on, probably nearly 20 years later, you sit tonight. Oh, man, God's been good. God's been good to us. We come from some humble beginnings, though. For some of you who have not always been here, hey, we didn't always have straps in the carpet. We didn't always... <laughs> You, sometimes we complain about one water fountain shooting higher than the other. That was the least of our problems back then. I tell you, God's been good to us. Don't ever think that we've arrived. Oh, just because we got more doors to unlock now than we did back then, that don't mean a stinking thing to Jesus. I want to make sure we stay humble. I want to make sure we stay hungry. I want to make sure that we are still just those same people, just the same mustard seed saying, Jesus, do something with us. Jesus, use us. Jesus, we're not any more qualified now than we were 25, 30 years ago. Jesus, we're just a bunch of people loving you and serving you and preaching your word. Jesus, just use us to do something great in this community. And I believe with my whole heart if Jesus comes in, and sits on that back row there, and he he starts looking for a church in our area, and he sees us preaching that message and, and having that heart. I believe he'll walk an aisle and join our church. 
boy, we've got to understand we've, we come from some modest beginnings. Secondly, there's a miraculous growth. Look, that's what the Bible says here in verse 32. The Bible says, but when it is sown, oh, just a mustard seed. I have a picture of a mustard seed, but I got a little bit too involved in telling the history of this church. I was enjoying that a little bit too much. Mustard seeds, uh, uh, to give you some perspective, a mustard seed is five times smaller than a pea. Oh, just small. But what it becomes is something amazing that the Bible says in verse 32, but when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Some miraculous growth. Now what started as 120 grew to uh, uh, be 3,000. What started as 3,000 grew to be even more than that. And at times the church would have to go underground for persecution and they'd have to flee for their lives. But Jesus' church never died off. People say, Brother Andrew, are you a Protestant? I don't know. I never protested and come out of anything. I am from the direct lineage of Jesus Christ himself. I don't sit here tonight trying to purify the doctrine of the Catholic Church. I sit here tonight preaching the same gospel that Peter himself preached. And we come from a church that may have modest beginnings, but we have seen some miraculous growth. It's an amazing thing to think that Jesus would use us to accomplish any means, much less the means that which he's allowed us to be a part of. Today at lunch, we were sitting there and preacher was, uh, I call him preacher so that new, new folks don't get confused. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I call him dad when we're out there feeding the dogs or hunting. I'm not trying to be disrespectful about that, but some people don't understand he's my dad. So uh, they just think, you know, so that's why I do that. But today we were sitting at lunch and preacher was talking about our offering. And he was just simply saying, what a privilege and an honor to be able to give to God's work. To see souls saved and to to see bus kids come to church. Boy, I I don't know how much diesel fuel my my tithe and my offerings have bought over the years, but I'll be glad to know when I get to heaven. I'll be glad to know those little bus kids that I had some part in bringing to church and they, they got to know Jesus as their Savior. And you don't understand the impact. You say, Brother Andrew, they're not doing anything for our church. They don't tithe. They don't give. But years down the road, you'll never imagine the testimonies we hear here at the church. They come back and they say, 20 years ago I rode your bus and I got saved uh, there on the bus route. You'll never know the impact you have for Jesus. What a privilege it is that God allows us to be a part of this miraculous growth here at this church. I believe this, if something's not growing, it's dying. I believe if something's not growing, it's dying. When I was in high school, I did a science project, and I was never the best student. Uh, I, I didn't much enjoy classes. I didn't much enjoy school. I enjoyed the sports that the school allowed me to play, so that's pretty much what I primarily focused on. But I didn't love the academic side of uh, school. But we had this science project, and I was trying to figure out something to do. You know, I didn't want to do the normal uh, volcano that bubbles over with Dawn dish soap. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do something where a potato lights a light bulb. That's kind of lame. So I wanted to do something that was 
kind of me, you know, for personally I could get involved in and invested in. And so I decided to show the growth rate of a deer's antlers. Yeah. Now, I will preface this story by saying I barely passed. (laughs) Apparently, there was nothing experimental involved in this. But I had a poster board made, and I showed pictures of what a buck would look like at about one year old and two years old and and three years old and four years old and five years old. And uh, when you see a big buck out, uh, maybe you're driving down the road, you see a big buck, you think, wow, what a big deer. But when I see that same deer, I can just about tell you how old that deer is. I can tell you, oh, he's four. Look at his belly. Look at his back. Look at his brisket. I can tell you. I can oh, look at the mass on those horns. Look at the, the tine length. I can tell you. I can tell you by looking at his face how old that deer is pretty much. I can tell you by looking at his teeth exactly how old that deer is. And what I was trying to show is there comes a time in a deer's life where he's at his prime. A deer will reach his prime as far as antler development around five years old. So what you want to do as a deer hunter is you want to wait till they're five and then kill them. Kindly harvest them. Yeah, that's the. Yeah, we're not redneck anymore. We're no mustard seeds anymore. Harvest them. That's that's the that's the right word. But what happens is they grow, and, you know, the first year they're real small. They, they have button bug. They're a little button bug, just little bitty buttons, or they'll have spikes or maybe a, a fork and horn. They're real small, and you see those, and they're kind of cute. they still got spots on them a lot of times. Oh, man, me, that's what we say. Two years old, they get a little bigger. Their bodies are kind of, this is like the teenager stage of a deer's life. You know, they're struggling with some things. They got more muscle tone now, but they're all skinny and they got a little better antlers. Three years old, they start to get in their mid-20s. They, they start to show out. Their, their bodies fill out a little bit. Their necks fill out. Four years old, they're almost there. You see their horns really development, uh, developing. A lot of times what you'll see is, I keep calling them horns. They're technically antlers for those deer hunters in the room. They're saying, you obviously don't know what you're talking about. But anyway, uh, uh, four years old, what you'll see is a lot of times they'll, as far as width and, and height and, and the, 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 uh, the s- stretch and the spread of their rack, you'll see they're there, but what they don't have is the, the, the girth or what we call the mass. Five years old, they put it all together and they're as big as they'll ever get. Now, you want me to tell you what happens after five? They're no longer growing. In fact, their bodies aren't able to get the nutrients that they were able to get when they were a younger deer. Deer that are younger than them are pushing them away from the food, and they're no longer able to keep up the competition and sustain that level of life that they had before. So what happens is when they're five, they're at their prime. When they're six, they begin to go downhill. And it is a scientifically proven fact that 10 and 11-year-old deer have been killed being mistaken for two-year-old deer. Because what happens is they go downhill. Look, if you're not growing, you're dying. If our church is not developing Christians, if our church is not seeing new converts, look, here's the thing I don't want our church to ever get to where all we're doing is turning over prospects and members. When more people are joining by letter than they are by conversion, there's a real problem. We have to make sure that 
We're growing as a church. You know the best way to start that in our church? Is to make sure you're growing as a Christian. When your growth stunts as a Christian, it will have a direct effect on our church's growth as a church. What happens is a lot of people get comfortable when you reach the nice building. You want to know the most effective days of a church's life are? The storefront phase. When everybody's having to set out chairs every week. When everybody's having to vacuum after church because preacher can't do it all by himself. And everybody's serving and everybody's involved. But when you reach the nice building and we got enough staff members to handle it all, we just kind of sit back and we start to suffer nutritionally. And we no longer growing, we begin to die. Oh, I want to make sure that our church continues to grow. Hey, look, I've never been concerned about numbers. I'll be honest with you, I don't know this is an indictment on me as co-pastor. I never look at the number sheet. I don't care to know. I wasn't even affected tonight knowing that there would be people out. Because no, a preacher may have been a little bit. He shared that with me, touch. But I just, I just trust the Lord with it. And the people that are here tonight, you know what you're doing? You're growing. And if you're not growing, you're trying to. Uh, you're, you're the person that comes to church with a prayer, Lord, speak to me, open my heart, or else you wouldn't be here. Oh, miraculous growth. And I believe that if Jesus came to our church tonight and he, he saw our discipleship program, people sitting across the table, uh, someone who knows the Bible sitting across somebody who's wanting to know the Bible more, and this person begins to share with them how they can be a soul winner and how they can uh, know the Lord more personally, how they can study their Bible and, and how they can share that. And, and they're just trying to walk through the Bible and they're trying to keep them accountable. And, and that person's growing slowly but surely. There are people sprinkled throughout this auditorium tonight who, if you would have seen them years ago, you'd say they'll never make it. And this process of discipleship and sanctification, God's done something great in their life. Uh, it's an amazing thing that God's allowed us to be a part of this miraculous growth here at this church. But I don't ever want to become so complacent and so gluttonous that we just kind of sit down and we say, All right, bless me now, preacher. Oh, when we get there, we're in trouble. If we're not growing, we're dying. I want to share with you a third attribute of a church that Jesus would join. And this is very important, a matter of purpose. Look, what is the church here for? And I believe that's a question we ought to ask ourselves. What is the church called to do? What is the church's mission in life? You say, well, obviously the Great Commission, actually that's your task. That's a task given to every Christian, not the church. Uh, There's not a single person that is exempt from that. So what is the church's mission? I want to share with you in verse number 32. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all the herbs and shooteth out great branches. Notice this so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Now you can read many, many commentaries on what this particular portion of Scripture means. I have, and there's so much disagreement about it. You see, there's a lot of things in the Bible, especially when it comes to parables. Uh, Birds are somewhat equated with 
a stealing or a thief or even maybe a people coming in unawares to take something away from the church. And so some people interpret this portion of Scripture as birds coming into the church and stealing away the things that the church uh, has. Y'all with me on that? And uh, I, I particularly don't buy that. Because not every single time does the same animal or the same object represent the same thing in every parable. In fact, I I give to you as an example, uh, Jesus likens the kingdom of God to leaven. Okay, leaven is a type of sin in the Bible. In fact, a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump, that's in reference to a little sin uh, uh, affects the whole uh, problem there. So a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump, speaks of sin entering in. But when Jesus is talking about uh, uh, the kingdom of God is likened to leaven, well, he's obviously not saying the kingdom of God is full of sin. Right? That's not what he's saying. I particularly interpret this passage of Scripture. You can uh, interpret it however you want. And if you want to preach it someday, I'll let you preach it to the mirror in your bathroom. Amen? But I interpret it like this. These birds come in weary from flying. And this shade tree offers them some bit of shade. Or a little relief from the elements that the world is, is, is harassing them with. Uh, See, this mustard seed is planted, and this mustard seed is not good for anything other than to be planted. And uh, you plant that mustard seed, and I want to share with you tonight a picture of what Jesus would have been referring to as far as the plant that a mustard seed would become. Brother JT, do we have that picture? Okay, you see this man here. This is a mustard seed plant in Jerusalem. Now, most mustard seed plants would stay relatively small, but in this particular area, especially along the banks of the Jordan, uh, these mustard seed plants grow wild about 10 feet tall, as you can tell from this man's photo. He's standing there. You can assume the man is maybe 5 foot 8, somewhere in there, 5 foot 8 to 6 foot tall. He has his hand reached up, making him about 8 feet tall. And you can see the plant extends probably another 2 feet higher than his hands. It's not uncommon for, in this area, a mustard seed plant to grow to about 10 feet tall. So what Jesus was saying was, when this seed is planted, it's insignificant. Uh, five times larger is a pea than a mustard seed planted, and it begins to develop, and it begins to grow, and it begins to spring out branches and show forth, uh, uh, cast a shadow and, and, and give shade. And, and the Bible says one day a, a weary bird flies by, weary from flight, and it sees this mustard seed plant over there, and it lands on the plant trying to catch its breath, trying to take a rest. But the sun is beating on the bird. And I interpret the passage like this. The plant helps the bird find relief. Find relief from the elements of this world. Find relief from the strain of the everyday life that the bird has. And this plant helps it. Now, how does this affect our church? Well, it affects it like this. The purpose of this church is to help people find relief from this old rotten, wicked world is to teach them how to live in the world but not be like the world. 
is to teach them that when they come in this building, we preach a message of hope. We preach a message of victory. We preach a message of joy. When all that's outside these walls is a message of hate and a message of anger and bitterness and and people saying compromise and people saying, let's just get along, but you can't be like you are. And and outside these walls, people will scream at them and beat at them and and their boss all week long gives them a hard time and, and life gets hard financially and domestically and everything in the world seems to be falling apart. And let me say this... Everything in the world is falling apart. The Bible says as much that in the last time, perilous times shall come. And so everything is going to get worse before it gets better. And what this church is to do is to offer relief to everyone. Offer relief to members. Look, we give more money to, to widows and people that can't pay their air conditioning bills and it's, it's, it's sad to see how many people walk into our church and say, I just don't have money to buy diapers this week. And, and, and these people, I would say probably 20 people a week come into our church office and say, I, we just don't have money for this. We just don't have money for this. Can we just get some food or can we get this? And, and we say, well, we, we generally like to help our members. But what the person doesn't understand is if they would join our church, they would have a bottomless well of support. Because there are people in this room tonight who have experienced times where money wasn't stretching to fix the car. And money wasn't stretching to fix the air conditioner. And they just didn't have it. And they come to preach or they come to myself and they say, Brother Andrew, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And I say, well, I know what we're going to do. And I walk in there to Miss Ginger or preacher walks in there to Miss Ginger and say, this lady's been supporting our church for years. She's faithful in service. She's faithful in loving God. Write her a check. We're to help members. But we're also to help people in this community that aren't members. James chapter 2 details a story of someone walking in in goodly apparel. I mean, this is the type of guy you want in your church. This is the guy that comes in and says, Well, I used to be deacon at the First Baptist Church of uh, Muleshoe, Texas, and I was a soul winner, and I was a a, a faithful tither, and boy, I I know how to dress when I come to church. I know all the hymns, and I know some of the hymns that even Brother Pickett doesn't know, and and I know how to play the guitar, uh, the bass, and I know how to, uh, my wife here knows how to play the piano, and Mom says, thank you, Lord, I don't have to play those two songs again. No, that's the guy that comes into church, and we treat him good. We say, brother, so-and-so, you have any questions about the church? Boy, we would love for you to take your family to to this event. Come eat with me and preach her, because you're special. Then the Bible talks about in the same chapter someone coming in who isn't so well-dressed. Probably has the stench on them from Saturday night. And uh, we say, everybody shake hands. And... uh, We just avoid getting over there to that person because they've got a few tattoos or they've got a a big old earring in their ear that you can see the person sitting behind them through their earlobe. Man, what a blessing. And we go up, we we make our way to them and we just avoid eye contact because we don't want to talk to them. And they get out of this church without ever being greeted and without ever somebody walking up to them saying, I just want you to know we are so glad you chose to come to church with us today. 
Boy, uh, I'm glad that you're here. Do you you have any questions about the church? Is there anything we can help you with? Is there anything that we can do for you? Uh, uh, Would you like to go out to eat with me and my family? We'll go grab some Dairy Queen. We'll go grab some Dollar Menu. That's the thing. You don't got to go to Outback. Just go grab something off the Dollar Menu and get to know somebody. Just let them know we care. And unfortunately, in that chapter, James is condemning the church because he's saying, you're respecting persons. And that man comes in with goodly apparel and you say, hey, prop your feet up right here. But the man comes in that doesn't look so qualified to be part of your congregation. You don't even speak to him. You don't even include him. Look, this church isn't supposed to be here so that our bank accounts can grow bigger. This church isn't here so that 2017's financial budget report says that we made money on the year or that we turned a profit. This church is not here so that we can say, oh, look what an offering we have, almost like Nebuchadnezzar says, look at this great Babylon which I have builded. That's not what this church is here for. This church ought to be the church that puts their arm around people that other people don't want to touch. And we ought to be the church that reaches out a hand to the bus kid that doesn't have a ride or the bus kid that we obviously know doesn't have some things at home that they need. I can't even tell you all the stories of good people buying clothes for kids or taking kids out to eat or or somebody just saying, I saw old so-and-so the other day and I just want to help him. I know he's interested in this. I just want to buy him this and just give it to him. I can't even tell you the stories. I don't want you to ever lose that. In fact, I want us to improve on it. I want us to grow in it. Because if Jesus were to come... Dressed like Jesus was dressed in his day. You know what I'm talking about. Sandals, dirty shoes, dirty feet. Maybe ragtag hair from sleeping on the rock the night before. Oh, probably no change of clothes did Jesus have. So he comes into church and he's got stains from the last time that he got off a boat and jumped onto the bank and got a little mud on the edge of his skirt there. And I just wonder if that would be the person, if we didn't know it was Jesus, if we would go up to him and say, hey, man, welcome to church. Because I believe if we are that church that reaches out a hand to those who have never had a hand reached out to them, that's the kind of church Jesus would join. What people want to do, and I'm done, what people want to do is they want to make a much bigger deal about music and worship and drums and feeling good in a service, all the while neglecting to take into account what Jesus probably really values in a church. You say, well, the special singing's a little lacking. Yeah, every week that I sing it probably is. But look, we ought not be so concerned with that. We ought to be concerned with we're a church that's staying humble. We ought to be concerned if we're a church that's seeing growth. We ought to be a church that's concerned... Uh, with reaching our hand out to people, no matter what state, no matter what they look like, that's the type of church Jesus would join. And if we don't have that type of church, we might as well, as preacher says, start stacking hay in this building.